When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Father, we thank you for um, the reading of your word. We thank you for uh, this one Jesus who came to change this world. And we thank you for this man, Simeon, as we'll learn about tonight, who had amazing faith in the midst of his waiting. And so, God, we come into this place. uh, And I just ask that in the, the season that we are in, some of us waiting with anticipation for Christmas, some of us waiting on things that we need answers for, some of us waiting on you, God, to show up and answer prayer. Wherever it is, God, may we experience you in the midst of our wait and in the midst of our waiting. And so I thank you tonight that you have given us this word that is to guide us, direct us, and to teach us. So open our hearts once again so that we might hear from you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As we're in Luke chapter 2, it's going to be verse 22. Uh, Tonight, you're excited again because Saturday night you always get something really special. uh, Because I wasn't supposed to preach tonight, so that's awesome. Um, And unfortunately, Chris Ward got the flu. So, oh yeah, that was great. Oh, felt the sentiment. Uh, but this morning I got the call that, uh, hey, you're going to preach the sermon today. And I'm like, awesome. This is going to be great. He asked me if I would, and I said no. And then I thought about it, and I said, yeah, I'll help you out. But uh, we are in Luke chapter 2. And when I was a kid, uh, it was one of the greatest times of the year. It was around Christmas. I loved Christmas, and I could hardly wait on, on Christmas Eve Uh, If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about because you understand the anticipation and the excitement that's there. I couldn't sleep. I was up pretty much every hour. Um, It was like five o'clock in the morning and my brothers who were way older than me and they were just sleeping away. I'd go and wake them up at five and they were like, it's too early, go back to sleep. And I'd have to go back to sleep or just hang out in the bed till like seven before we could go down and see all the presents. There was this anticipation. I remember when we were waiting for my girls to get accepted into college. It had a different little feel. There was uh, anticipation and excitement, but there was a little bit of fear as well. Uh, I I remember, and and my daughter Ella, who's at at Baylor, just told me last night that it was like a year ago tonight that she got accepted into Baylor. And I remember that night. And then I remember getting Sophie's letter from Belmont. It's the only school she wanted to go to. 
She didn't have any other. She was going to Belmont. And I remember we got the letter in the mail and Madi and I went into our bedroom and we closed the door because we didn't want to see it. We didn't want Sophie to see it if it was bad news. So we opened it up and it said, you've been accepted into Belmont. And it was on her birthday, which was really cool. So we wrapped that up and we put it in a bag and all her friends were there. And then she opened that up and there was her acceptance letter and she just started crying. It was awesome. And so a lot of times in waiting, there's this anticipation. Sometimes there's this fear. Nolan was around seven or eight, and uh, he was picking up the presents that were wrapped around the tree to try and figure out what was in them. Anybody ever do that? Any of your kids ever do that? And he starts shaking them and trying to pick them up. So I remember him coming to me with a present in his hand and saying, hey, Dad, this is a game for my PSP. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, I got a tape measure out, and it's the exact match. And I said, literally, you got a tape measure out? He goes, yeah, I got a tape measure out. It is perfect. Well, Nolan flew in Thursday, and I picked him up at LAX, and we were, came in real late, and so we went and got some food, of course, because that's what college students want is food. And so we sat at the table, and we started talking, and I told him I, I had remembered this story. And he goes, hey, Dad, that's nothing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, here we go. What didn't I know? And he said, well, one of those times, one of those PSP games, he said, I figured out it was the game that I wanted. And he had to come here for all of his Christmas Eve services. So as a kid, he just sat in the back room and he brought his Wii. So it wasn't a PSP this time, it was a Wii. So he, he took the tape off the package and he slid the new game out. And then he just left the package under there. Kids, don't get any ideas. And then he brought the game here with all of his buddies and he played the game. And so we had like two or three days of Christmas and then he would go home and he would slide it back in and then he would tape it up. He goes, that was awesome. He goes, I mastered the game before I ever got it on Christmas. It was perfect. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. See, he just couldn't handle the anticipation. He had to get in and to see something. One of two things are going to happen when you wait. Like my son on Christmas, it's going to be exciting. You, you just can't wait to unwrap it. But sometimes when we wait on things in life, or when we really want something, or we need an answer, or a cure for, we can lose heart. We can even lose hope. And many times we can give up, or we can give in. Our story begins about 30 days uh, after the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're told that Mary and Joseph traveled with uh, Jesus about five and a half miles from the town of Bethlehem to the city of Jerusalem in order to go to the temple. And you see, there are two reasons why they went. The first reason is this, to offer a sacrifice on behalf of Mary. You see, according to the Jewish law and in the Old Testament, after a woman gave birth, she was considered to be ritually unclean for a period of 30 days. And this unclean period um, was meant in part to signify that although there was a birth of the child, which is a great thing, the world is sinful and people were sinful. And it's only God who can remove the stain of our sins. And so 30 days after the child was brought into this world, a woman and her family would offer a sacrifice to God in the temple in order to remove the uncleanliness. And so we're told in verse 24 that Mary and Joseph traveled to the temple to offer a sacrifice of either two doves or two young pigeons unto God. The other reason why Mary and Joseph went to the temple was to dedicate Jesus back to God. Again, it was a requirement that the firstborn son of every family be consecrated as a part and given back to God. And that involved a ceremony. So we see this in verse 22. Look again with me there. When the time came 
for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And so there we see that Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated and given back to God. And by the way, uh, there is a reason why we're being told this information. Because one of the things that the Bible makes really clear is that Jesus is going to be able to save us from all of our sins. And in order to do that, he needs to be perfect. He needs to be a lamb without a blemish. And so Luke is making it clear from the very beginning of the birth of Jesus, this is what's happening. Not only did Jesus do everything he was supposed to do in his life, but God chose for him parents, people who would do everything that they needed to do as well. And that is why this information is here. And it's when Mary and Joseph go to the temple that we're introduced to the main character in this passage, this guy named Simeon. And this Simeon, he had been waiting and anticipating Christmas. He had been waiting on the promise that God had given him. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here we're introduced to this man by the name of Simeon. And the way Luke introduces him here is pretty significant. You know, up until this point of our story, there have obviously been people who have been recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. Mary and Joseph, obviously, the shepherds had done that. But there's a problem with these individuals. These are not the type of people that the Jewish people would have held in high esteem. There was, they were the poor people of the day and in the age. They were the nobodies. And that's a problem. If Jesus is indeed to be the long-awaited Messiah, then at least some esteemed people of Israel, at least some reputable people, had to recognize this too. And that is exactly how Simeon is described here. So all sorts of things are going on. But Simeon, he's sort of the quintessential uh, revered man of the day and age. And so Luke tells us here, he is righteous, he is devout, and we're told that he was waiting some text said he was waiting eagerly for the consolation of Israel. And that's a reference to Isaiah 40, some 750 years before Jesus was born. You see, God promised some 750 years that Israel was going to be restored. And that meant that Simeon's theology was actually correct. He's waiting for the right things. But most important, we're told that the Holy Spirit was with Simeon. And we're told that the Holy Spirit made a promise to Simeon that before he died... He would get to see the Messiah. He would get to see the anointed servant that God was going to bring to the earth to redeem all of mankind and bring peace and hope. In other words, what we're being told here about Simeon is that he can testify that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one true king. So this dude, Simeon, he's been waiting around for a really long time. Text doesn't tell us how long, but you need to understand something. He was probably over 100 years old. So it's been a while that this guy's had some information and he's been waiting and it said that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And so this man was looking for a king. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing his picture of a king was probably like ours. Probably something that he was looking for was someone strong and bold, powerful. And then all of a sudden, he sees this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. But Simeon was moved by the Spirit. And he goes to the temple on the same day that Mary and Joseph are there. And the presence of the Lord was with him. 
And so Simeon waited and waited to see. Now he is face to face with Jesus Christ, this king. And he realizes in that moment that God's promise has been fulfilled. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. And God's promise he would see face to face. Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, well, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. You see, Simeon had been waiting for Jesus. He had been waiting for Christmas, and now the promise of Christmas was right in front of him. So here we see this great moment, this moment where God leads Mary and Joseph and this man of God together into the temple, and they see Jesus. And at the same point, at the same time, on this one day, by the Spirit of God moving behind the scenes, everything falls into place. Listen, we need to understand something. God is always using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God is often working behind the scenes to bring about his glory and honor. And the fact that he chooses to use ordinary people like you and me, it's just kind of extraordinary. The ability that God had to work behind the scenes to bring all of this together in these separate events, separate circumstances, separate people to bring about what I like to call these God's moments, it happened in this moment and it's only one explanation, only God. See, I've always looked back on the moment and went, wow, there's a few of them in my life that I went, only God could have done that. That was God's hand. And it was C.S. Lewis that said it this way, for a Christian, there are strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies is always at work. And Joseph and Mary marvel, the text says. I wonder if it was in that moment I wonder if it was in that moment that they went, you know what? He really is the Son of God. I wonder if when Simeon spoke those words to him, when they went, wow, this whole thing is true. I mean, an angel comes to Mary. Listen up, oh, highly favored one. She was a teenager. You're now going to be pregnant. I don't think in that moment she really believed that now she's going to be carrying the Son of God, even though it was told to her. Joseph then has to believe this story. And then they go to have the birth, and they get thrown into the barn, and they have a baby. And all those moments, I think they got to be going, are you kidding me? And the baby is born. Is this really the Savior of the world? And then they travel these five and a half miles to the temple, and they see Simeon face to face, and he comes, and he says, this is the Messiah. God's promise has been filled. I wonder if it was in that moment where they went, wow, this really is true. Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the, um, the older I get, I try to be more conscious to open my eyes and recognize and see the way that God is moving and leading. I want to be open to see what he is doing and be aware of all that's going on. Because who knows when God may bring exactly the person you need exactly the right time. Who knows when you might be the exact person that that person needs at the exact time. And by the way, one of the ways that I've found helpful to recognize God's presence and to be aware of what is going on is to practice gratitude. I find myself thanking God a lot more these days for the little things that I've never thanked him before. 
Like when Chris texted me this morning and said he had the flu. I just thank God every moment after that that I just get to come and preach a message that I have no idea what it even was. But yeah, I thank God for that. Because God had something for me and he had something for you. And it's in gratitude that we begin to see God in different ways. And it's a heart of thankfulness that God shows up. And as I get older, I just keep saying to God, thank you. Thank you for who you are and thank you for what you did. Now, I don't know But one of the reasons that I'm speaking this weekend and all the Christmas Eve services coming up is because you need to understand something. God's given us the privilege to share the good news and the hope that there is this one named Jesus Christ. And between here and Orange and Anaheim, we're doing 11 services, and we believe that God's going to do something, and he's going to use ordinary people to do the extraordinary You know what's unbelievable about this weekend and me speaking? See, six months ago, somebody asked me to go to the Rams game. And so I was going to the Rams game tomorrow. So if you know anything about football, the Rams game got canceled tomorrow. So when Chris texted me, I was like, well, I'm not busy anymore. So I guess I have to speak. Now, I could have done Saturday night, but I think God had something going on. Now, the game's Tuesday, which is our dress rehearsal. So I don't know if I get to go or not. But let me just say, God's doing something. And he's doing it in the little things. And he's doing it in the things that sometimes don't make any sense. And he's going to use people just like you and me, the ordinary, to do the extraordinary. But sometimes you have to realize God is at work even when you can't see it. See, you see, this is why the promise of Christmas was given. This is why Simeon was waiting. And in verse 33, look what it says. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child... This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. If you've ever watched American Idol, you know that in the first few episodes, there would always be a few individuals who got up on the Uh, who were on the screen that we watched, and they would stand before the judges, and they couldn't carry a tune to save their life. And you would watch them, and they couldn't sing, and Simon Cowell would just sit there and watch them, and then as soon as they were done, basically he wouldn't do it very delicately, but he just told them that they were terrible, and they had no chance of ever getting on the show. See, in that moment, all their hopes were dashed. On national television, But I'll tell you, in my opinion, what the sadder thing is. The sadder thing, in my opinion, is that these people had never been told by anybody else that they were terrible before they got on national television. They couldn't sing off television, and so why did somebody think they could sing on television? Nobody was truthful with them. Nobody was up front with them. And it had to be Simon Cowell that came and just destroyed them before they understood that they really had no talent and they needed to pursue something else. See, here's what Simeon knew. He knew there was a problem with Christmas. He knew there was a problem with Christmas, and it was our sin. You see, that was why the promise of Christmas came. He came to change our world and to change our lives. Salvation was here for Israel and for all mankind. Look back at verse 29. It says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
Interesting, isn't it, that he didn't say, my eyes have seen the Christ child. Or my eyes have seen Jesus. No, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And Jesus means Savior, bringing salvation to all who would choose to believe. And for Simeon and anyone else who would choose to see Jesus, their life could be changed. And so Simeon understood that truth had to be shared and that all of us were sinners and were in great need of a great Savior. And when that promise was fulfilled, there was an answer to the problem. And it was salvation for all who would choose. There's a a man by the name of Tony Campolo. Uh, He's a Christian sociologist. He's a great communicator, preacher, and he was a professor in Pennsylvania. And he writes in one of his books this story. He said this, There's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. And he said, I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast that they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. One day they invited me to speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic and happy people. And just before I I spoke, eight guys took me to a back room and they got me down on my knees and they laid their hands on my head and they prayed for me. That was good. You see, I needed all the prayer I can get, but only one problem. These guys pray for a really long time. And that's usually okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on praying for somebody by the name of Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in the silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And I felt like saying, knock it off, dude. What do you think God is doing? Saying, now, what's the address again? Anyway, he went on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He's going to walk out on his family. Lord, step in. Do something right now for Charlie. Give him a sign. Bring this family back together again. So I'm asking myself, when's this guy going to shut up so I can get these preachers off of my head? But he kept on going on and on about Charlie Stolfus leaving his wife and his kids. And he's living in the silver trailer a mile down the road on the red-hand side. And finally, the prayer was over. And I got to the pulpit and I preached. And he said, after I preached, I got in my car and I drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike and I was headed for home. And as I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher. And whenever I can get anybody locked in as a captive audience, I do it. So I stopped and I picked him up. We drove a few minutes. I said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, my name's Charlie Stolfus. And he said, I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and I headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that. And after a few moments, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. And his eyes narrowed and he's asking me why. I said, because you just left your wife and your three children, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face. He plastered himself against the the car door and he never took his eyes off me for the rest of the trip. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in as I drove right up to his little trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked me, how did you know that I lived here? And I said, God told me. (laughs) And I believe God told me. We got out of the car and I ordered him to get into that trailer. He was half shaking and he answered, right, Mr. Sure, I'm going. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. 
And he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. I was like E.F. Hutton that day. <laughs> that afternoon, Charlie Stolfus and his wife both decided to humble themselves and become followers of Jesus Christ. And the sign for Charlie Stolfus and his wife was obvious. But the sign for you and for me is obvious as well. See, there was this one named Jesus Christ who God said, I sent into this world. And he confirmed it with this man, Simeon, that said, you will see the salvation of the Lord. Simeon now was a man of peace. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved John and Eric and Bob and Bill, put your name in, and Matthew and Doug and Janet and Scott. For God so loved you that his promise came true at Christmas to solve the problem of your sin. That he sent his only son into the world so that if you would choose to believe in him, you could have life. God did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him you might be saved. See, in the waiting, God's promise was fulfilled. In the waiting, the problem of sin was taken care of. So tonight, uh, the only thing we have to offer is this one named Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And we can come into Christmas and as we wait for Christmas Day and all the presents with our kids or grandkids or whatever you get to celebrate, and that's all awesome. But the beauty and the joy of Christmas is we get to anticipate that we get to come together and be reminded once again that God so loved you that he gave his only son. My prayer is, as you anticipate Christmas, you continue to pursue the one that loves you. My prayer is that you don't just come to these Christmas Eve services over this next week um, by yourself, that you would consider bringing somebody with you. Somebody that needs to hear the hope. Somebody that needs to hear the message. Somebody that needs to be redeemed by the goodness of God. And to know that in the waiting, when maybe they've lost hope and they've lost faith and they've given up, that God is for them and he wants to be in relationship with them. Tonight, that is my prayer for all of you. And it is our prayer for us as a church. So I would ask you to do me a favor. Would you stand with me? And as you stand, I'm going to pray. And I just want to remind you that in the weary world, that's why we call this weary world rejoice. Because we just believe there's joy in the midst of all of the waiting. There's joy in the midst of all that goes on, and there's joy because of Jesus. And so tonight, if you don't know Christ is your Savior, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to, to receive him. And as I pray that prayer, you can just pray it in your own heart tonight. And, and then when we're done with that, I would love for you just to have your communion ready, and we're going to partake of communion together. So if you would just bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you 
for your goodness. We thank you for this man named Simeon. Father, um, I don't know what it was like that moment when Mary and Joseph and the baby walked in, but there was a holy moment that happened. And when he looked and said, salvation is here. God, he knew that all that had been promised was now being confirmed. And so God, you promise that your son Jesus was the one who would take away the sins of the world. And tonight there might be somebody here who needs their sins to be taken away. And in this moment, right here in this service, they could simply just say, Lord Jesus, I am choosing to believe. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came for me to save me from my sins. So I accept this gift of salvation. And I ask you to come into my heart and my life, and I ask that you would change me. For all of us tonight, God, who have maybe been waiting waiting for you to answer prayers, waiting for you to restore, waiting for you to cure. May, like Simeon, we not lose hope. May we continue to believe and to trust that, God, you are working behind the scenes and you still do the extraordinary through the circumstances of our lives. So may this Christmas our faith be strengthened. May this Christmas, in the midst of the weary world, may we rejoice because of who you are and what you have done. And tonight as we take communion together, may we once again celebrate the good news and the hope that you gave each and every one of us by not just coming into this world, but by going to the cross and dying for each and every one of our sins. So tonight we stop and we just say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.